Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Thank you. Pastor Warner's recuperating this morning. I'm taking his place this morning. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17. I want to minister from that. We uh, pride ourselves on being Bible preachers. Can you say amen? amen? Bible preachers. This morning, if you're here and you're watching and you are concerned about hermeneutics, which means the methodology or the process of bringing forth the text, I want you to know this is not uh, strictly an exegetical sermon. It's not even an expository sermon. At the best, it could be analytical or deductive. What that means in street language is I have some things I want to say. So I, I find, a, te- I find a, a text that I can vaguely refer to it, read the text, and then depart immediately therefrom. Acts 17, the Apostle Paul goes into Athens. As he walks into Athens, he uh, uh, walks from the port of Perea into the center of the city at every place that uh, is possible. There's a grotto. There's a, an idol shrine. There are uh, shrines to Jupiter. There's shrines to Zeus. There's shrines to Athena. Uh, there's shrines to Bacchus. Uh, and uh, he begins to preach. He goes into the synagogue. He goes into the marketplace begins to preach. They hear him, and they're uh, uh, intrigued by the uh, speaking of this new doctrine. They ask him to come to the Areopagus and preach. Let me read the text, Acts 17, uh, begin with verse 16, if you'll follow there with me. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing forth some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else uh, but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through 
and considering the objects of your worship, uh, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. If you and I are to make known the unknown God, we're going to have to exercise some principles. This is what I want to preach about this morning. First of all, we're going to have to go outside the four walls uh, to accomplish that. Secondly, we're going to have to recognize and use uh, the dignity uh, of the local church. And thirdly, we're going to have to genuinely be a fellowship, which means you share together in the work of God and in our resources. Outside the four walls. When I was a new convert, we went into Glendale, Arizona, which then was a separate city and uh, from Phoenix totally, uh, in, totally entirely. We street preached, and uh, mostly we went into the, uh, the park itself. There was a band shell. We would preach uh, from that band shell. Now, there was not a great deal of converts. There wasn't even a great deal of an audience. Uh, and, uh, but there was a principle that was uh, triggered. One was in us came a dynamic uh, of public witness and public preaching that established a dimension in us. Secondly, I'm sure there was a spiritual dimension. We had various kinds uh, of uh, encounters that was involved in there. And so outside the four walls uh, is something that we have established inside uh, our fellowship because there's dynamics that are triggered uh, that are beyond uh, the visible dynamics. Street preaching, street drama, movies, concerts, uh, uh, all of these work together, door-to-door evangelism. There's something involved. There's no church, uh, genuine church. I'm talking about a church, not some mega entertainment center. There's no church that I know that is growing that is not doing a ministry outside uh, the four walls. Uh, When uh, uh, we talk about this, we're talking about a reproach to the church world. Uh, They don't really uh, have a a passion for this. Uh, And Hollywood never spares uh, an opportunity to put uh, some kind of nut uh, in one of their films showing any kind of street preacher uh, or someone with a a sign hanging on him, the end is near. Well, it may be. Can you say amen? Amen. And uh, they, uh, to uh, to, uh, put uh, forward some type of caricature or cartoon uh, to ridicule anyone who's street preaching, street demonstrating. But I want to tell you, this is foundational to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know no church that is growing uh, that is not outside the four walls. Jesus and his disciples uh, functioned outside uh, the walls uh, of a building. Can you say amen? Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1. And again, he began to teach by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. As we read this text, we're reading the Apostle Paul. This is foundational. Uh, he, He has not been into, no one's been in with the Gospel. So what does he do? First of all, 
He uses his uh, uh, methodology of Jewish uh, identity, goes into the synagogue, begins to proselyte, begins to proclaim Jesus as Christ. But he also went outside in Acts 17, 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers uh, and in the marketplace uh, daily with those uh, who happened uh, to be there. When I came to Prescott in 1970, uh, I uh, uh, heard about a revival in Cottonwood, Arizona. Four Square Church was having a revival. A little church, Philip Ovalle was the pastor. And I went over to that revival. Bob French was preaching in that. There was not over 35 people in that. There was no visitors. I doubt if any visitors ever came into that building. But uh, as we were there, we're around the altar talking, uh, and uh, how are we going to get this uh, gospel out? How are we going to get this to work? It was a very discouraging meeting, and Bob French began to say uh, some ministries in Los Angeles area, California. He mentioned Larry Reed, Don Madison, uh, and, uh, and, and some other things. Uh, and uh, so he began to talk about that. Uh, and, uh, I, and the, the thing that we were there, I made a statement. Uh, I said, whatever else we're going to do, we're going to have to get outside uh, the four walls. Uh, and that triggered his uh, statement about that. And I determined from that I'm going to go see uh, what they're doing over there and uh, outside the four walls. Now, we're not just talking about mechanics to, uh, this morning. We're talking about uh, this morning uh, an emphasis uh, and a dimension uh, and uh, unless you are going to enter that, uh, you're going to miss one of the great dynamics uh, that is going to trigger something far beyond the visible and far beyond the numbers of people that are going to come in uh, from that uh, generally in America. Listen to uh, this quote. This is from a book by David Womack. Uh, listen, this is one of the greatest quotes uh, that I've ever used. I used this years ago. I'm using it again because most of you weren't here years ago, so you'll be, it'll be brand new to you. <laughs> I once knew a man who had calluses on his knees. His name was Jim Evers, but to everyone in our street meeting group, he was Brother Evers. I would play on my guitar to help gather a crowd so he could preach and wave his ragged-edged Bible. At the end of most of our street meetings, he'd lead someone along the street to the local mission where he would soon have the fellow repenting of his sins. One day, he asked the Lord to make it stop raining so we could continue our street meeting, and to my surprise, the rain stopped. As a youth, I was amazed at the man. He seemed to break all the laws of nature, so I asked him what was the source of his power. That was when he showed me the calluses on his knees. Many years have passed since I left the street corners of Spokane, Washington. Ironically, as I think of it now, I went away to theology school to learn how to do God's work. There, in the isolation of such training, I moved far from the men I had known in the streets. The experience of pastoring several American churches further separated me from the unchurched. I took my wife and daughters to Columbia, South America. Whereas foreign missionaries, we tried to fight Goliath in the armor of King Saul. We did what we were trained to do, but the people did not come inside the church to see us do it. We were warned we could be stoned or jailed if we took the gospel into the street, but we reverted to the tactics of Brother Evers. The predictions were true. Rocks were thrown at us. 
Some of our people were wounded, and on one occasion I was arrested for preaching, but the churches began to grow. Before leaving Columbia for my present duties, uh, we pastored Bogota's Templo Bethel, the largest Protestant church in the capital at, the time, at that time. We had 800 to 1,000 people in our services, and our uh, community outreach uh, touched 2,000 to 3,000 others every Sunday in houses, parks, uh, and in the streets. Somewhere, perhaps only waiting for the call to action, there's a remnant of believers in open evangelism that is ready to break into creative, dynamic approaches to the spreading of apostolic Christianity. Brother Evers, we miss you on the streets of our cities. This now focuses on what we want to think about this morning. We're talking about something beyond the intellectual. We're talking about a dimension that triggers both in believers and in a spirit dimension that begins to work upon the hearts and upon territorial dimensions. One very interesting story that I read years ago was of a man sitting in an in a upscale restaurant that had a window on the street. He and his friend were eating a, a meal in this upscale restaurant. And as they looked out the window, a man appeared with a sign, and this sign said, God's fool. Whose fool are you? This triggered something in this man, which later led to his conversion. And we may think, well, that seems like a stupid thing to do. But I want to tell you, there's a dimension that is triggered in open evangelism, witness, and any kind of activity that does something that you do not understand and it's in the spirit realm. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the dignity of the local church. We have a tendency today, and this is even creeping into some areas of our fellowship of professionalism. I had a lady that left our church years ago because she said, Pastor Mitchell isn't professional enough. He doesn't have an office at the church where he functions out and uh, left, left the church. There's a buzzword. This buzzword is becoming very popular, which is excellence. Or in other words, uh, it is an idea that if we will uh, perfect our methodology and we will begin to present ourselves uh, more in the model of the business world uh, and uh, that we will present everything that we have from our acting groups uh, to our music groups uh, that are excellent, then we're going to impress the world. You know, what kind of insanity is that? You can't even begin to compete with the entertainment of this world. Can you say amen? I clipped an article out. This comes out of an article from uh, the Community Joy, uh, Church of Joy in Phoenix, uh, Scottsdale, rather. Just a portion of his quote. Uh, this man had gone to a Batman movie, and uh, he saw the crowd standing in line, and he's thinking, how could we get crowds like that in our church? Uh, and he began uh, an adventure of uh, entertainment. But at any rate, before he got there, he was with, with Rick Warren and Bill Hybels uh, and some of the other big shots uh, in the church world. And they're trying to come to grips with, how can you build and build numbers in your church? Uh, and let me give you this short quote. We knew that people didn't want to give anything. Well, I beg to differ with you. If you give them something to give to, they will give. 
They didn't want to sing anything or do anything. They wanted anonymity, not community. They didn't want theology lectures. They wanted to be entertained and inspired. So we set out to give them exactly what they wanted. We hired the best musicians we could afford. We used the best marketing principles and programming specialists for the gospel's sake. Uh, attendance uh, skyrocketed. More people began to come into our churches. Uh, our church was a great organization, but something was missing. We weren't accomplishing our mission. We weren't creating transformed, uh, empowered uh, disciples. Now, this morning, we don't put any premium on stupidity or ignorance. Can you say amen? But you need to understand that most of the church world looks at us as a bunch of hicks. I'm the head hick. <laughs> this is the dude that pastored a dynamic revival in a green suit and pink socks. <laughs> we had one, one, one departed brother. He said, Pastor Mitchell has a little too much Arkansas for me. Well, uh, what you see is what you get. But here's a profound dimension in the local church. Think with me for a moment. Uh, everything that is needed for ministry, God places in the local church. Write that down, Pastor. That's one of the most profound saying that you'll ever hear. It's in the local church and in Acts 14, 23. So when they had appointed elders, that's pastors, in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Or in other words, these people had already been evangelized. They had a group of people that are uh, studying the scriptures, that are uh, worshiping God. But there has been no order established. Uh, and they go in now to set it in order. Uh, and what was needed was in uh, that local church. Uh, and this is a biblical principle. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, now in the church... Uh, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Cyrene Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The great apostle Paul was shaped and formed in the local church. Think with me for a moment because we have a completely disparate approach in many areas today. And the error that we want to note this morning is that not realizing that the seeds and the potential of everything that you need is being germinated in that local church. Pastor Ruby preached a classic sermon yesterday morning. If you were not here, you need to get that sermon, which is grow your own potatoes. The only fault with that, he didn't repeat that 25 or 30 times while he was preaching. 
This is the principle that you need to lock in because this is the principle that is in the Bible. Uh, it's rooted there, uh, and perhaps the issue there is that the error we want uh, uh, to have instantaneous prophets, instantaneous uh, disciples that are uh, that coming into the world. You know, many people have the idea that John the Baptist was born with a full head of hair and prophesying the moment he came out of the womb. But you see, there's a long period of preparation as God was moving, but the seed and the potential for everything that you need is in your church. It's your responsibility to shape it and to form it and grow your own potatoes because ministries are in your church, and maybe the key in both of these passages is they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Here's the church of Antioch. Uh, this is a side issue in the early part of the book of Acts, but Antioch grew into a regional church planting and evangelism center. It became a candlestick church. And as we're reading the scripture, we realize that God has done something. And someone mentioned yesterday in one of the sermons that when the church in Jerusalem was dissipated, they had a powerful church in Antioch, a candlestick church. And if you read in the book of Revelation, you'll see these candlestick churches. Function caused them to be elevated to the status that they hold. This is the history of our fellowship. We can talk about Tucson, Arizona. We can talk about uh, Tempe. We can talk about El Paso, Texas. Uh, we can talk about other uh, centers in the United States of America. That because of function, these have been raised to a status uh, as candlestick churches. Uh, and the workers uh, that were needed uh, have been raised up exactly like we've done this uh, in Prescott, Arizona. We could go overseas. This is what we've repeated. Beachboro, West Australia, Walthamstow, England, El Dorado Park, South Africa, Mandaluyong in the Philippines, Davao City in the Philippines, and on and on and on. One thing, write down in your Bible this morning, uh, is the, the dignity of the local church. Uh, and it took me five years after God was pouring out His Spirit, we're seeing hundreds saved. It took me five years to figure out what God was doing. He was restoring dignity to a local church uh, that could plant churches, make disciples, uh, that could plant workers overseas, uh, that could accomplish, uh, and all the workers uh, and the resources were in the Prescott Church to accomplish that. Write it down. The dignity of the local church is one of the keys to make God known to the world as has been stated here. There's a third thing I want to leave with you and that's the partnership and the releasing principle that is really in the word fellowship. People use the word fellowship. I'm a part of the fellowship. Yeah, fellowship. We're going to fellowship. Fellowship makes you want to puke. Fellowship has deep and profound ramifications. Fellowship literally is a joint sharing. It means that there is a joining together in a spiritual dimension where there's a, a gen, it's, it's not an opportunism where, uh, you know, we've, we've had men that have left our, left our fellowship and immediately opportunism kick, kicks in, which means uh, 
whoever gets down first. They're not going to genuinely fellowship because genuinely fellowship will cost you something. Genuinely fellowshipping together means that your heart and your spirit is joined together and as it's joined together, whatever is needed to cause that to be propagated and continued, those who are part of a fellowship will do to see that it continues and go forth. This is opposite of the mega church trend today. Somebody uh, just told me yesterday, I think, said, you know, you know what they're doing is they're, uh, they have these uh, satellite churches. And uh, these satellite churches, they've got uh, a video screen. And uh, they put this up on a screen and somebody comes together and the satellite site, don't you have any disciples? You mean there's no one else that's qualified but you? Head dude? They're going to project your image in there? You're not kidding me. I've been around too long. All you're going to have in there is people who come together to be entertained by religious subjects. You don't know where they come from, where they go, whose wife they're sleeping with. You know nothing about these people. Anonymity is the order of the day and this is the anonymous church that's going to come together they have no responsibility and this is the order of the day it's get all you can and can all you get you see fellowship genuinely demands an investment that will not be repaid at least not in the moment or in the immediate these people to continue their mega churches, they build buildings that are larger and larger and larger. Uh, it reminds me, some years ago, I went with two of our men, Pastor Warner and somebody else. They said, we got tickets to the Suns basketball games. He said, you'd like to go? Well, I've never been to a professional basketball game. And so, yeah, I'll go. So we went, and we're up in the nosebleed section. <laughs> We're looking down, and these figures are about this big. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and I said, what's the big deal? You've got to have screw loose to enjoy. Uh, they had, you talk about fanaticism. You know, they had, uh, they had this man in an ape suit, uh, and he's, he's, he's all over the floor. I said, don't be, tell, don't be telling me that we're fanatics. But here they are, and, and I thought to myself, life must be really boring for, for these, these people to get any kick or get any high out of this. And I get that same impression with the mega church thing where you don't know anybody. Nobody knows you. Nobody relates. We had a couple, a lovely couple, and the, the long story, this girl backslid some years ago, and um, uh, some of our guys started witnessing uh, to the man she was living with and so uh, they got him under conviction she's uh, she's telling him, stay away from those guys they want you to go to the potter's house and you stay away from those guys don't 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 listen to them they just want to get you saved and so finally uh finally he he did pray with one of our men on the job and then uh, he's talking to her so she decides well well we're gonna have to go back to church and so they they went to a local mega church here and so as they went in there uh nobody talked to them Nobody looked at it. They, they went there to get saved. They wanted to get saved. 
That's what they went there for. Nobody talked to them. Nobody acknowledged them. They went in. God said, well, we might as well go back to the potter's house. Is that that's so? <laughs> Usually, these people get caught in these, uh, these uh, uh, mega debts that go along with their mega churches. Listen to what one... Uh, one uh, writer. They'll clip this out. This is very interesting to me. This is what's happening in the religious world. We're not there. We don't intend to go there. And nothing's going to happen if you do go there. Listen to this. What attracts people uh, is not the name on the door, but the programs inside, says Newsweek. They compete for recreational and leisure activities with Second Baptist Church of Houston. The 17,000-member church supports 64 baseball, uh, softball teams, 48 basketball teams, and 84 volleyball teams. And the church also has six bowling lanes. You feel left out this morning? They have more teams than you have people in your church. Go into all the world and play volleyball. No. We're not about that. We don't intend to be about that. We're about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Our call this morning is to send workers and money partnering together to make the unknown God known. Now the reason I said this is a deductive uh, sermon or uh, an analytical sermon is we have to analyze Paul and how he got to this place. So that will legitimize me using this scripture this morning. (laughs) Some of you young pastors don't even know what I'm talking about. That's all right. (laughs) Hang around. You'll get it after a while. This is mostly unknown to the church world. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul says, you sent once and again. Are you still with me? This is what fellowship is all about. If you are skeptical and you came to this conference, you probably say, you know, those guys taking the offering are, you know, they're putting a lot of pressure on for money. Smile. Costs a lot of money to do what we're doing. And we're not doing it alone. Can you say amen? Amen. This is unknown in the megachurch world. Paul says you sent once and again. Well, you felt that last night. You felt that the night before. You're going to feel it tonight again. You're going to feel it tomorrow night. And you're going to feel it on Friday night. Can you say amen? Once and again. Philippians 4.16 for even in Thessalonica, you sent once, uh, uh, you did, you, uh, you, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Thessalonica, you're, you sent once uh, and again for my necessities. Now, here's the Apostle Paul. He comes to Athens, uh, and he hasn't been just doing this on his own. He's been working, tent-making when he had to. Other times you'll find clearly that he's asking for uh, joint sharing. And in uh, the uh, book of uh, Romans chapter 10, he says, How shall they preach uh, except they be sent? Uh, and so Paul uh, 
put a challenge out, and that challenge was a sharing together. And this is what our fellowship is all about. Second Corinthians chapter 1, 15 and 16, and in the confidence, in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and to be helped by you on my way to Judea. The key words are, you may bring me on my journey. He's talking about joint sharing because the early church practiced this. You will see this over and over again. He talks about fellow helpers, uh, fellow uh, laborers, uh, and this is key to uh, causing the unknown God to be known. My son Greg and I were preaching in Russia uh, in May. And while he was preaching, he had made an observation. It's the first time he's uh, been to preach in Russia. And he made an observation that he was a young disciple in Perth, West Australia, when the first worker was sent into Russia many years ago, and he gave in that offering. And so here he is uh, preaching to 225 men. Some 20-something of these uh, are pastors. Uh, and here he is now seeing the years down the road as God has continued to move in Russia, this glorious work. Uh, but it did not come about uh, without people in various circumstances uh, going in and sharing together teams going in, ministers going in, and this is what it's all about. Think with me for a moment, because we are joint sharers in the enterprise that we're in. Prescott, Arizona is not the only place where this is happening this morning. Can you say amen? I'm privileged to preach in a number of different places and conferences, and I want to tell you what a glorious feel. I was just in Romania, was able to be involved in their, in their conference. Not as many people as the same feel, the same challenge. I'm looking out of a building full of young couples that have their entire lives before them. Should Jesus tarry, can accomplish far more than what you and I are doing in Coup because they're getting in the, on the ground floor of what God's doing with some knowledge uh, and some ability. Uh, when I came to Prescott, Arizona, I'd pastored already for nine years. I'd pastored already in churches uh, that were so dead, uh, preacher-killer churches. You know what preacher-killer churches are? Preacher-killer churches are they're waiting for the next pastor to kill him. That's what they are. Nine years uh, in confusion, having no direction, not knowing anything, uh, but uh, our fellowship, uh, what a tremendous privilege that we have. Uh, let me name just a couple of endeavors that we do as a fellowship. San Luis, Mexico. What a tremendous blessing. Many of you in the southern region here go in. They even come down as, from as far as McMinnville, Oregon. Uh, a glorious event. Uh, we load up vans uh, uh, of young people, as many as we can get to go in, uh, uh, pay their uh, fare, pay their, uh, pay their uh, hotel, uh, have adults to chaperone them, make an impact on a third world country that's just five, six hours uh, south of us here in a glorious uh, 
uh, parade, uh, going into rehab centers uh, in a in a uh, in a crusade, see hundreds saved at every altar call, see dozens uh, of miracles before their eyes, uh, and that's not done just simply by one circumstance. It's done by joint sharing uh, together. Mexico City, Mexico City. Uh, they hold their services in a boxing arena, uh, that uh, a homemade boxing arena. And uh, in this uh, last two years as I've been there, there probably is anywhere from 13 to 1,450 people in that building. When you give the altar call, the ushers have to remove the chairs in the front to get all the people come in uh, in the altar call. What a glorious event. Can you say amen? These things cost money, and it is our fellowship that share together uh, that are able to undergird uh, and finance these uh, and participate uh, in these. Uh, Oceanside, California, coming up next weekend, where perhaps uh, uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people will be there on Saturday night. And uh, the greatest street meeting in the United States of America is Oceanside next uh, weekend. And don't miss it. Fly in to see it. Uh, it's a glorious event. Can you say amen? amen. See people saved, see people healed. Uh, and this is an investment of our fellowship. Uh, and uh, we could carry this on because it takes an investment of large sums of money. Uh, hundreds are saved in some of these. Uh, and many are healed. Uh, impact teams, music groups. Uh, and uh, to my knowledge, this is unheard of. This world functions on me and mine. Can you say amen? This world functions on, what do I get out of it? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I know you're going to do that, but what's in it for me? There's nothing in it for you except a spiritual dimension. Can you say amen? And the joy of seeing people gloriously saved. We, little churches of 15 people, they can bring their people to Oceanside or one of these events, and they see, wow, man, we're part of something big. Can you say amen? Uh, and when they see God's power made manifest, uh, it's not because of an individual. It's because we are joint sharers together. Uh, never forget that. This is a dimension that makes God known, uh, the unknown God uh, known. We have pastors. They pay their own fare overseas to preach crusades. Did you hear what I said? Pastors uh, of 75 and 80 people who are able to raise uh, funds from their own church uh, to go overseas, uh, do a crusade uh, uh, that's unheard of in the church world. Uh, there's pastors that would dream of being involved in that, uh, do revivals in the third world, do uh, 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 minister at their own expense in small churches. Uh, and uh, here we have uh, this principle uh, in the Bible. Three principles. Number one, outside the four walls. Number two, the dignity of the local church to disciple, train, finance, and send a worker out to plant a church. And thirdly, joint fellowship and sharing together. This is what will make the unknown God known. Paul writes to, uh, to Philemon. And as he uh, uh, writes, he said, I, I, I'm, I'm, sending, uh, I'm sending Onesimus back. And he says, count me a partner. Do you, read, you realize what that means? Count me 
a partner. He's asking for forgiveness for a slave that has apparently stolen money. And as he's stolen money, he's gotten saved in Rome. And Paul's sending him back now. And as he's sending him back, he's saying, I know that he stole money from you. You put that on my account. I'll pay it. Don't worry about that. And besides that, he said, you owe me your own soul anyway. <laughs> That's joint fellowship. That's joint sharing. And as we look at this principle, uh, then we find uh, that this will make the unknown God uh, known. I had a call, as Pastor Camel said last night, from the same man in another country. When he called, I recognized his voice immediately. And he said these words, Pastor Mitchell, don't quit. Now, I don't know if they'd had a rumor that, uh, that uh, I was getting ready. I, I have no idea what brought. Don't quit. I said, well, I don't intend to. He said, this is the only fellowship that has the fire. There's no fire. These organizations, these there's no fire in them. Well, there's some fire in ours. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? You had a senior citizen presenting fire last night. <laughs> On Monday night when you heard that new convert testify, you saw some fire. Amen. Can you say amen? So I said, well, I, I don't intend to, I don't even quit. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you. And he told me the, much of the same story that Pastor Camel told you. He said, I've had all the men who have left our fellowship preach for me now, because he's a rebel, he broke away. Preach for me. And he said, to a man, every one of them say they made a colossal mistake, the greatest mistake they ever made in their life. Even Jack Harris, he said. Well, that's interesting. I haven't heard from old Jack in a long time. And he says what this fellowship has is something that the world needs. Now think about that. Analyze this. We're not sending out uh, fan letters and saying, anybody that believes in us, you know, sign this petition. Uh, tell everybody how great we are. We're just doing God's business. We're doing what the Bible says we ought to do. But here's a man who probably 10 years or more rebelled, pulled his church out of the fellowship after we'd invested multi-thousands of dollars in him. Here he is uh, 10 or so years later, and uh, he said to me, he said, all of these men realized they made a mistake, but none of them will repent. They're too proud to repent. I'm sitting, listen to this, and I'm saying, you too. <laughs> what has brought this dynamic in any genius that's up here? You're looking at the head hit, folks. <laughs> it isn't any genius that we have. It's simply picking the scripture up and trying to follow 
some of the principles uh, that are there. I think it was Paul Stevens that preached the last conference. Uh, he talked to one of the men that left the fellowship. Listen to these statements. Write it down. Let it be burnt into your memory. Uh, because this man, he said, uh, uh, what is the greatest regret that you have from leaving the fellowship? And he said, uh, I can't trust anyone. Are you still with me? You can't trust anyone? Can't trust anyone. And I have to do all this by myself. The unknown God is waiting to be made known. It's not automatic, but it can happen. It is not mysterious. It follows some principles. Uh, and those principles have caused our fellowship uh, to prosper, to make impact, uh, to cause multitudes uh, to come to Jesus Christ uh, and churches to be planted around the world. Uh, and we're believing for that uh, this morning. Say, give me, give me the key, Pastor. Well, there's a lot of the key right there. Outside the four walls, inside your church, Pastor, are men that are waiting for you to shape them, for you to form them, this is going to cost you your life. See, what we're involved in will cost you your life. I have people all the time, they want the, they want the key, they want, the, they want me to lay hands on them, or you lay hands on me, in fact. Uh, and uh, I'm willing to do that. I'm not, I'm not opposed to do that. But the blessing is inside your church, uh, and God's waiting for you to give your life, uh, grow your own potatoes, uh, and don't forget to share and join together heart and soul for the vision of world evangelism. Let's give God praises, uh, our brother Tom. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.